Hey everybody, I am here with developer Robert Pipe. How you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm fine. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Thank you very much for taking the time to do this. Uh, you're a busy person. And I really appreciate um, when people take the time to talk, but I wanted to kind of introduce you to everybody again, because I think many people in the Mr. World know your work and use your work, but don't quite know you. So uh, I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah, it's, it's great to be here. I wouldn't have thought that uh, that I would fit, fit in into this talk. Oh. Because I, I, I'm probably not well known in the in the whole retro community. Well, you're certainly known in the Mister community by anybody that kind of works in the back uh, back side of things, uh, and everybody that uses it obviously uses your stuff now with all the latest updates. So uh, it's it's definitely fun to be talking to you. I do want to just remind everybody that we're on different sides of the world, so there's going to be a delay. I'm sure one of us is going to start talking at the wrong time or something. People tend to tend to forget that uh, doing things remotely like this is a little harder than in person. But I'm just kind of glad we're we're here anyway. So. Um, I guess just to give people a very quick background of yourself, what are the cores that you've created and added to on Mr.? You did the Lynx core in its entirety. I know you've added the save states for Game Boy and NES, but you've done a bunch more work as well, right? Yes, I started with the Game Boy Advance core. It was uh, one and a half year ago. Oh, when, I when totally I forgot that you were the person that posted the Game Boy Advance core. I feel so stupid. Wow. <laughs> That's an awesome core. That works really well. So when I made it, I didn't know much about the Mr. Project at all. So I posted it on and read it. And uh, the community said, oh, uh, come to our Discord channel and let's talk and bring this to the uh, to the Mr. And uh, I thought maybe it's a good idea to do it, to have a larger crowd uh, using it. And I was completely new to all this at that time. So that was really your first um, conversion of emulation over to FPGA Verilog code? So I did a Game Boy Core before, but it wasn't very good. It was my, my first work. It could play most games, but not in the quality uh, as the Game Boy Core on, on the Mister. Okay. And then you moved on to Game Boy Advance. And I remember when that came out, everybody was just shocked. No one, no one expected that to come out so quickly. And I remember the first day I had to, I had to make some settings changes in order to get it to work on a CRT. And the next day an update was pushed where just everything worked. So not only did you get it out there, you got it updated so quickly. Uh, and it just, it's a, it's a great core. I've never had an issue with it. I've never found any, any major bugs or problems. I mean, most of the cores are pretty stable, but if you're, if you stare at the stuff as long as I have, you could tend to pick out a lot of the inaccuracies. And I just, I, I had a really good time playing the Game Boy Advance core. I just thought it came out great. Yeah, thanks. I, I guess when it came out, there were still quite some games that uh, were not running perfect hmm. at that time. But uh, it got improved over time. I, I spent a lot of time afterwards also. But when I uh, first posted it, um, I made sure it works already. So I, I didn't want to post something. So I'm working on it and maybe I will release something in, in months or in a year or something like this. Uh, so I made sure things are running. So first games working. And I always made this uh, decision afterwards. The, the first core now I, I posted that I'm working on it without any game running was, was the Wonder Swan recently. Mm -hmm. But I, I was quite sure that I can do it <laughs> and I don't run into too much problems at that point. So I thought that it's possible this time. 
Yeah, I think that's a smart move because if nothing else, it removes a lot of pressure for yourself. So like, what if you released Game Boy Advance when it was barely working and then you said, yeah, no problem, I'll fix it in a month. And then something important happened and, you know, you didn't have the time to. Now you have all these people saying, what happened? It's been a month. How come the core isn't updated? So just for your own, your own well-being, I, I like that idea of, you know, get it out there in a stable spot. And then that way people could use it. And if you want to update it, you know, you could do that at your leisure. Yeah, also, it's much better for all the bug reports that come in. So if it's already in a state where I think I can get to from on my own, that, that's great. So if I still have work to do and uh, people report bugs, I also see that doesn't help me much. But if they come up with, with the bugs I haven't seen and I wouldn't have seen, so that's a big help then. Yeah, absolutely. And I imagine if there's anything lingering, sometimes hearing new bugs might be clues as to other things that you were trying to finish off on it as well. So, because it's impossible to test every part of every game by one developer, you know, so having so many other people test it, it's pretty cool. It gives you, um, you know, a a lot of beta testers, I guess. Yes, that was great uh, when the GBA core came out. There was uh, one guy in in an old Mr. Forum and he tested. 1,600 games in a few days. Wow. And he gave me a list of every game not working. This was so great. It was a huge help at this point. Wow, that's awesome. I absolutely love the retro game community. We have so many good people in it. So it's a, it's a, that's cool to hear. Yeah. Um, now, when that core came out, there was talk of how it was made, and I tried to explain it, but I'm not a developer, so I get the concepts, but it's a little over my head. Um, so this isn't the way that core was designed. If I'm right, wasn't an exact one to one of all of the chips that were on the Game Boy Advance, but more along the the actual real world implementation. So you know how. Um, I see, I'm not even explaining it right now. So b- basically, it's. Um, you're emulating the entire console as a whole and not going down to, to focus on each individual chip. Am I right about that? Well, I, I'm doing uh, the individual parts. Oh. But uh, on the GBA, when I first thought about it, I read about uh, the memory access timing it has. Mm-hmm. And it was very fast. And I thought, I cannot fit this into the SD RAM, with, which the Mister has. I would need very low latency RAM to do this. Uh, today, I know it would be, have been possible to do it, but at this point, I didn't know about it. I was still quite new to all this. Uh, I, I started with, with FPGA course maybe half a year ago when, when I started with the GBA, so I had, didn't have the experience. So what I did was um, not emulate or rebuilding the, the, uh, the GBA at the instruction level. So I, I did rebuild it at instruction level instead of cycle level. So one instruction may take several cycles, and only this amount of cycles is, is calculated. So it's not not every uh, internal component advances every single step like in a real system it would. So instead, it advances with one instruction. If it takes one cycle, it's, it's one, but maybe if it takes 10 cycles, the, the component advances by 10 cycles. This way, I was able to uh, increase the overall speed of the game advance. And uh, this way, I could live with, uh, with slower memory. So if the memory is slow, 
it maybe runs a little slower and afterward it's catch it catches up so it, it counts how many cycles have passed or should have passed and how many it could reach in, in speed and then it catches up to this point again so the difference is very small it's around 100 cycles maximum and typically uh, this is not reached and you will never notice that mm. but it has some problems with getting uh, some of the smaller components uh, completely accurate in rebuild so if i would have done it today i would made it different than this time but overall i think uh, every game is now running it passes uh, most of the critical tests and it's quite okay even in, in this state. But it could have been slightly better even. That was a great way to describe it. I feel like, I, you know, I kind of... Whenever I'm able to explain something, that's when I know I've got a better grasp on it. And I feel like I could almost explain it now. I think that was the really clear way of, of visualizing it. So um, you said you were going back and kind of going to the other pieces and also uh, kind of adding towards it, adding to the core over time as well, right? I, I think I've seen improvements pop up and bug fixes over the past six months or a year or something like that. Yes, I, I did a lot of bug fixes also with with accuracy, with timing, and I added uh, quite some features to the Game Boy Advance score. So when I, when I was done with the Game Boy Advance score, I didn't want to do anything related to the core internals at this point. It was too much of that. I want to try something new. So the first I did was the save state feature for the Game Boy Advance. Mm. And I mainly uh, did it at this time to fix bugs. No. Oh, so okay. I usually work completely in simulation. So it's VHDL code, so hardware description language. And in a simulator, you can run the same code that runs on the FPGA on your PC. But it's way slower. So for, for one second real time uh, to be simulated, it may take an hour. So oh, you wow. you can't get deep into the game and test something. It will take hours and it's far too long. So I made a save state so I can load the save state in the simulation at exactly that point where the game uh, has a crash or some graphical artifacts come up. And that was great for fixing all the bugs. When I had the save states, most of the critical bugs I had fixed a few days later. And I didn't have any idea how to do it otherwise. That so, um, is so awesome. A feature that so many people absolutely love ended up actually helping your development cycle. Yeah. That's really cool. And uh, afterwards, I also added uh, the high-resolution rendering, for example. So you can play uh, games like Mario Kart in four times resolution, which is uh, looking far better. Yeah. And um, also some, some other parts that's very cool. What, um, what allowed you to be able to do that? Is it was it manipulation of the software? Um, because I, I didn't think you know the higher because you're not talking about scaling the image. You're not talking about scaling the original resolution yep. with nearest neighbor. You're actually talking about rendering in a higher resolution, right? Yes. So, so uh, is that possible? So the uh, the PPU, the pixel processing unit in the GBA core is. Uh, there uh, three times. It's one time for the original resolution and two times uh, for the uh, for the four times resolution. And these two additional units work at double speed, so they can uh, do the additional pixels. Wow, 
Uh, you know, I, as much as I really, truly love the preservation parts of the Mr. Project, I think my favorite parts are always the stuff that can't be done on original hardware. It's just a completely unique experience. And even the silly one like um, composite blending on only the only the specific layers on the Genesis core. So if you're with Sonic standing in front of the waterfall, the waterfall's blurry and everything yeah. else is sharp. That's such a small thing, but it's such an easy example because it's nothing that you could ever do on an original Genesis. And, you know, what you're just talking about of of high definition rendering of a Game Boy Advance game. I mean, you know, you could do that with software emulation, but it's it's really impressive to see in in Mister. I mean, that's a very cool thing. Yes, I also thought it's it's so cool when I, when I tested this out in an emulator, and I wanted to have it in FPGA. I, I know it's making the FPGA really full, and it is today. It's it's using most of the space available for all these uh, features I added, but. I wanted to have it. I want, wanted to try something out. That's awesome. That's always fun. So what did you move on to? What was the next that you did after Game Boy Advance? So after the Game Boy Advance, I thought I can uh, move to the Nintendo DS. And I worked on a core there and on another board, on a more powerful board with uh, two times bigger FPGA, with faster FPGA, more memory, and even there, I got stuck with implementing the 3D features. So the 2D features work and the processors work and most of the 2D only games work, but uh, the Nintendo DS uses a lot of 3D and it's worthless without 3D. So you cannot play many games with, uh, without and it wouldn't fit with, with 3D on, on a mister. So I thought uh, it's not worth continuing this project. I spent maybe three months for that. Oh, wow. And at this point, uh, when I started, I thought maybe I can do it. Maybe I can can fit it in, but uh, it didn't work out. So I had to cancel this. So that in order for that to work, you would almost need either all software emulation or a combination of FPGA and a graphics chip on a, a custom board or something, right? No, the, the biggest problem is, is really the memory. So the uh, Nintendo DS has very lo- very much um, internal memory. Mm-hmm. So about uh, triple size of what uh, Mr. FPGA has. And it's used all in parallel. There are more than 10 uh, different memories used in parallel. So you cannot do that with external RAM. It's, it's not working well. Okay. And that that's the main problem. So to do that, we really need uh, FPGAs with uh, enough memory. There are some, but they are still very expensive today. Yeah. I mean, when you say very expensive, they're over $1,000, right? Yes, they are over well, yeah. 1,200 is, is the cheapest board I found uh, still today. And I guess uh, not many people would buy that just for an Nintendo DS core. So with a small crowd and large library, you can't get the core real, really good and it's not worth working on it. And the $1,200 one can't do native 4K60 output either. You have to go to the next model over that to get 4K. Is that right? I'm not sure I didn't look this up. I could be wrong about that because I remember talking to a few people like, is there something that we could do? Is there just a, a more powerful mister for people that want those features? And the, the answer always came back, no. And, and if there was, it'd be m- many thousands to get this extra stuff. So you know, just stick with the DE10 for now and see what uh, what comes down in price in the next upcoming few years, I guess. Yes, I think it's the better solution. So if we get 
really big improvement for a small price in a few years, then it's worth it. But uh, at the current point, I don't think it's worth to to go to a platform with over $1,000 price. So Agreed. Especially because Nintendo DSs are still so cheap and available from places, whereas a lot of the other stuff that you talk about, um, you know, that's been implemented in the Mister is hard to get, or you know, it's uh, like the screens are terrible, so you have to do a screen update even if you do an original console with it. And whereas the Nintendo DS is, you could probably find one reasonably priced. You could probably find a brand new one somewhere left over for cheaper than the cost of the FPGA to, that would run. Yeah. So. That's well, cool. but the reason I worked on all this this handheld course is that I don't like to play on a handheld. <laughs> so yeah. that's uh, that's the main reason I, I I worked on on the Game Boy first and Game Boy Advance afterwards. I don't have much um, connection to the older uh, consoles like the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. So I never really played on them, and uh, but I played a lot on the handhelds as a child. But I cannot do it today anymore it's the the small screen and with my hands it doesn't work out well i agree completely i I would always rather play even um because some handheld games do look a little strange on a big tv so i took your uh which we'll get to in a bit but i took your lynx core and i put that on a small 10 inch monitor and then used a you know real size controller and it was awesome it was like a halfway between you know because it's much bigger than the original Mm -hmm. screen bigger and better but it also um you know it it, uh, it wasn't too big that everything was stretched and giant so but you know there's no wrong way whatever people prefer is awesome but that i definitely enjoy doing it that way yeah so after uh nds what was the next one that you moved on after that so after the nintendo ds i worked on uh, performance improvements for the ao486 core so the the computer core and uh, i added uh caches to it and improved the internal the internal calculation speed, uh, the, the latencies of, of all the pipelining. I didn't touch very deep into the um, the core itself. It's it's mainly all the memory interface I worked on to, to make it faster. So it was, uh, I think in the end, it was four times faster than, than at, the, at the start. And it enabled uh, quite some games to be played. Yeah, um, I remember when that speed increase was implemented because a few people know how much I love the fighting game Mortal Kombat. And they said, hey, check this out. There's a 486 core running the PC version of Mortal Kombat 2. So, you know, if you want Mortal Kombat on your Mr. Now, that's how you could do it. And I was so blown away by that. I thought that was so cool. (laughs) Yeah. So I tried to improve this this further, but it it didn't work out. So I, I skipped working further on this project. I know that um, Alexi did quite some more work on it mm-hmm. afterwards with, with all the, the VGA stuff he did and and a lot of other parts. I think it, it was a little motivation for him to have to score faster now and it's it's worse to do all these features and it, it was a good result overall. Yeah, that's awesome. It's cool, too, because when you collaborate on stuff like that, um, sometimes just having somebody come in and help uh, lights a fire. You know, you get more excited about it because now you're not stuck in the same spot. Now you're moving forward and it it does tend to make things exciting. Yeah. Um, After 486, um, there were more save states, right? So after 486, I 
I did a break for, for some months and tried something completely different. So it was uh, related to, to web development. Hmm. So I always wanted to do that. But uh, in the end, it was like all the projects I did in the past, no one would use it ever. <laughs> so I came back to, to working on, on, the, on the Mr. Project because it's used and it doesn't feel like you're working on something and it's just uh, stuck uh, somewhere in the corner and nobody looks at it. That's not worth it in the end. I feel like that 75% of RetroRGB.com is stuff that I spent <laughs> days and days making sure I got it right. And maybe once a month, somebody will click on it and go, oh, cool, this is what I need. But it mostly just gets ignored. <laughs> so I feel your pain. <laughs> what was the yes. web project about? Was it um, game related or was it just something totally different that you wanted to work Yes, on? I was trying to do a, a 3D game. Oh. So I, I, did, uh, I did some... Uh, 2D games before I start with with FPGA development, and not not something really big, so maybe used by a few hundred uh, people. And but the the 3D project was was too huge in the end, and still not good compared to uh, standards today. So probably no one would really want to play it. So I put it to the side and uh, I went back to to the Game Boy Core which already existed and was in really good shape before. So I thought uh, I could add some of the features I, uh, I already had in my Game Boy Core from more than one year earlier. So that was uh, the fast forward feature and the save states. That's awesome. I, I remember when those were implemented too, because both of those are pretty neat. Um, the, you know, it, it's all of the advantages of a software emulator, but you're using hardware emulation. So it's kind of the best of both worlds when stuff like that's implemented. Yes, it was really important for me to see if the fast forward could work on a psyche accurate core like the Game Boy Core was. Because I always thought it, it must be very difficult because you cannot just uh, make it faster and what to do with all the memory excesses and how could it even work. And it's really good. I found a way so I could later on when I made the Lynx core, I could also design it that way. And not like the Game Boy Advance before. I, I wouldn't have to, to choose um, a design that has some weaknesses just to get these features in, which I really want. So the course I, I do, I will always have... Uh, at least fast forward and safe states inside. That's very cool. What do you use fast forward for? Is it mostly uh, development stuff just to skip to a faster part or a further part in the game? Or do you like speeding your games up or uh, what's the main use for you personally? So the main use, uh, which I want to, uh, because I wanted to have it in the game earlier on was uh, some of the games, some of the uh, role-playing games or the Pokemon games, which I, I played as a child, I always play them faster because they are so slow if you can't speed them up. It, it costs me hours to play them and it doesn't, it's not fun for me anymore to play at the slow speed. So I initially made it for that. But uh, today, I, especially on the, on the Lynx core, I use it mainly for getting faster to a point in, in the game where I want to test something. That's awesome. Both are cool reasons. I um I didn't play very much text based stuff growing up. I used you know I liked 
side-scrolling or top-down adventure games, which are mostly fast-paced. Uh, but I, I could completely see a couple of them where I would have loved a fast-forward feature to skip through certain things. Like even people that just want to play Super Metroid again. I, I love the opening. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was really cool. But I've seen it a thousand times. I don't need to see it again. I could just fast-forward right through that. Yeah. So, yeah, that's cool. So, um, moving on from the Game Boy, what came after that? Was it? Did you work on another project, or did you jump right onto the Lynx after that? I think I yes, I, I got to the Lynx after that. Yes, I, I started with the Lynx, but I I didn't announce it too early. So I I, I think I announced it when the first game was running on FPGA already. So quite late in the project. So I think uh, from there on, it was maybe two, three weeks until the first uh, beta release. But uh, I was quite sure at this point, I will get the things uh, up and running in time. So how did you start getting into that? I mean, did you write a software emulator like you were kind of doing with the Wonderswan or did you already have data out there? I mean, I'm always fascinated at how people get started with such a monumental task of recreating a game console, you know? Yes, I, I always start with, with all the course I did. I always started with a software emulator before. When I first did the first uh, core I did was a Game Boy. And I also did the software emulator before, and it was the first emulator I ever wor worked on. And I had no idea how such a thing could work at all. So I got stuck in every situation and couldn't really finish it. And then I came uh, to the conclusion that I need to look at existing emulators. I really uh, must uh, get to the knowledge already available and not find out everything myself again. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people have already uh, find, found all the details, for example, for the game world, it's, it's very, very good analyzed. And you can find all the details uh, on existing emulators and documentation is good, but if you want to look, see the details, it's sometimes very helpful to look at existing emulators. So uh, what I did was, um, taking, um, let's say, uh, the calculation output of another emulator and compare it to mine and to see where the differences are mm -hmm. to get it uh, to get to the point where, where it was working well. But uh, with the Game Boy and with the Game Boy Advance emulator I made initially, they were not very accurate because I... I at least for the game, I didn't have in mind to put, uh, to bring it to FPGA later. It it wasn't my initial goal with the Game Boy. It, later on, I, I decided to do it, but uh, I didn't want it to do uh, to do to do this initially. So it was it wasn't meant to be uh, brought to FPGA. And also the GBA, the design, for example, the GBA. CPU is pipelined with, with three pipeline stages, but the emulator wasn't. So getting all this information to the FPGA was another huge step because the design was very different. And uh, the next time I did this with the Lynx is the, the emulator. I made it already in mind how the FPGA would look like and what it can do. So in FPGA, you cannot access, uh, let's say, a single memory several times in the clock cycle. 
it's not possible. Some emulators can do that. So you you don't keep the fetch data, just throw it away and fetch it again. It's no problem. But um, on FPGA, it's not possible. So um, when I made the, the Lungs emulator, I already had this in mind, which what is possible on the hardware and only design this stuff in. So that it will be, so it, it's always uh, sound a bit uh, bad if you call it porting an emulator. But in case you already write a software emulator to do only things a hardware could also do, I think it's fair to do it this way. That, that sounds like a really intelligent way to approach the problem to me. I know I'd heard some people talk about different cores and, and uh, mostly it was just people repeating what other people said and they didn't know what they were talking about, but they, they made negative comments about, oh, you know, this core is mostly just a ported emulator. But I mean, I don't understand what the problem with that is, even if that was true. If it's working and you're not adding any lag to the image and, you know, and everything looks and sounds okay, what's the difference? And from a preservation point of view, I totally understand that it would be nice to have a, a carbon copy, you know, in Verilog of every single chip on every game console, that that would be nice. But if your goal is to enjoy games as accurate to the original as possible, I just, I can't see how that could ever be a negative thing. And it sounds like your test environment, uh, I, that just sounds like a really brilliant way to approach it. Let me give let me have a software emulator that doesn't take an hour to render one second of video so I could actually just use it in real time. And I see in the videos that you post, a lot of it's in fast forward mode anyway, so you could scroll through a lot of that stuff. Uh, it just uh, it sounds like a really great way to go about doing it. Yes, and it's also, uh, if you, let's say if you port it to the FPGA and have the, the same logic inside, they are compatible. So what I do is, I create safe states on the hardware and I can debug them in the emulator because they are they are compatible to be used there and I can set breakpoints and debug stuff very easy there. So it's it's helpful and for some things it's maybe more helpful to debug it on on the hardware where it's running faster. So it's uh, to have multiple possibilities to work work on this these problems. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned debugging it on real hardware. Um, how how would you do that with something like the Lynx? Did you use a ROM cart with a um, with a save state feature, or did you just remember where in the game? Uh, or, or did I hear you wrong? I'm sorry if I did. There's a lot of noise outside. <laughs> um, so for debugging, I can I can use the the software emulator. I can use the simulation, and I can use the FPGA core, but also the real hardware. So the first thing, if someone reports a bug, is I put the same game on a flashcard, run it on the real hardware, and see if the bug is also there. And we found quite some strange bugs on Lynx games uh, where all thought, that cannot be in a real game, but it is. <laughs> and so I, I always do that. That's cool. No, and, I've run uh, into that too, where I had, uh, I think it was the Sega CD core. Uh, the first game I loaded within 30 seconds, something crashed on it. And I sent a screenshot to my friend and they, they were laughing like, no, that's that's a known bug that happens on a real Sega <laughs> CD. That means that the it's a, a, an accurate recreation of the same bug that happens in the original. So it's kind of fun to see some uh, some factory bugs that are still left over in some of these games. Yeah. But uh, you always have to look, uh, especially graphical bugs. They are very common 
uh, on older systems to have some some glitches, some graphical glitches that happen also on the real system. But you often cannot see them on the old screens with uh, screen lag and several frames combined together. You cannot see what what's happening there. Not not so easily. And it's sometimes it's difficult to find that. But uh, I always try with, with the real hardware first. And I'm happy I finally got a, a flash card for the for the Wonderswan now, which is very difficult to get. Yeah. So I can try games there too. Yeah, the the group that makes it are, are very nice people. You should have uh, you should have just emailed them directly and say, "Hey, I'm working on the FPGA <laughs> core. Could you put one aside for me?" They they probably would. So, <laughs> but um, so with the Lynx, um, is that a console that you played as a kid, or were you just interested in, in recreating it? You know, what what made you choose the Lynx? So honestly, when I was uh, working on the Game Boy Core and and the new features, I thought about what could be next. And there were some systems left, and I looked. Uh, the handhelds are always interesting to me to to work on them because uh, I don't like playing on the handheld itself. But um, there were three handhelds mainly, uh, which I which I looked at, which uh, was the, the Lynx, the Wonderswan, and uh, Neo Geo Pocket. Mm-hmm. And uh, I decided to go for the Lynx at this point. Because mainly because of the library of the games, I always thought uh, having a library with many or most of them being Japanese only is very <laughs> difficult to to work with. Mm. So I decided the Lynxes all games are are English, so I can easily work on them. The library isn't too large, but also it sold uh, most from all the three systems, so it can't be that bad. So let's look at it. That's very cool. I, um, I'm, in playing this now, do you have a favorite game or two on the Lynx that you like a lot now that you're able to play it on a big TV and everything? So uh, it's probably California games. I, I played it together with my daughter. She was crazy about it and played the BMX part uh, for hours. And um, there are some, some other games, but uh, what I really miss on the Lynx is some some role playing games or some other games which uh, you can play for longer mm. which are not that uh, arcade type games so i i'm not the one really to to play this this arcade arcade games it's it's not my my style of game i like it's funny because i i think my favorite for that is um, california games as well and i believe uh raiden was ported to that i don't know if that was a fan made one or if that was a, an official one but i definitely played it and uh, the vertical or the rotation of the screen worked perfect so you know it emulated that and but i do i for handhelds i did always really appreciate the whole you know i have a few minutes to kill I always want to be doing something. I'm kind of hyper. So let me just grab this, turn it on, play a game for five minutes and turn it off. Whereas, you know, I do love getting sucked into a nice adventure game or something, but I just, I often don't have the time. So I really appreciate being able to to flip that on. And in fact, I have uh, the mini Mr. Cade that I built. It's a little arcade machine with the, um, a JAMA adapter in it. 
And yeah. that's always hooked up, whereas all of my other stuff is in a state of disarray. So when your core came out, I walked over to that, flipped it on, and was playing California games on the Lynx core on a little arcade machine. And it was just so neat because every time I was like, I want to try that Lynx core again. And, you know, I, I would just have access to it immediately, be able to play a few moments of a game and just. I really liked that I got to have that experience without dedicating hours. So I, I like both, but California Games was definitely it. And uh, they have a couple other games in that library that are fun, like quick, fun games that if you have a mister, definitely take the time to go through that and, and see for yourself. So, um, This might be a stupid question, so excuse me if it is, but in the screen rotation of the Atari Lynx, um, does that add any lag when you're using the output of the just the analog output or direct mode HDMI? So basically inside the core itself, I'm not talking about any of the buffering on the output side. Um, because I know with, with other uh, rotation, you have to buffer one frame in order for it to draw it sideways because obviously, you know, you're drawing it this way and then the other way. Is it Does it work that way with the links or is it just the way the console or the handhelds made allows you to uh, do that a different way? So for the Lynx, it's very special because the Lynx has no uh, direct uh, graphic hardware to output. It's drawing to a frame buffer, everything. So huh. while it has uh, some graphical features, these features all draw to a frame buffer. And this frame buffer is copied out uh, with direct memory access to um, to the display on, on the real Lynx. So you always have this frame buffer and you always have a little bit of lag uh, probably from this frame buffer access. Also, the, the Lynx games are often running at a uh, lower frame rate. So sometimes it's it's only uh, 20 hertz or maybe even only 15. So you probably don't notice the lag that much because the frame rate is low. Mm -hmm. But um, as it's all uh, frame buffer, you it doesn't really matter if it's uh, rotated or not. So that's interesting. So when you when you're talking about don't notice the lag, if that's if the original writes to a frame buffer anyway, that's actually going to be the same on the original handheld as it would be in the FPGA core. So if yep. one extra frame is buffered, uh, I wouldn't call that lag just because that's the exact experience you get on the original. So adding the rotation doesn't add any lag over the original would if you just turned it sideways. <laughs> so that that's cool. That's interesting. I didn't realize that um, a console that old drew everything to a frame buffer. I thought that mostly started with consoles after it, but... I'm not yeah, it, <laughs> it was it was very special i i don't think uh, any other system of the time has that i i haven't heard of of any but uh another uh thing for the for the latency is uh, that the display of the lynx combines three images so it's so slow you see two old images and a new one so probably you will have less lag if you play it on the mister than on the real lynx because with with that with such a sl uh, slow screen, it's probably uh, much more laggy on on the old screen than uh, if you only if you have the, the image directly. One of the things I would love to do um, if I ever get out of the city and get a place 
with a basement so I could set up test equipment. I would love to build a black box and put a camera inside with handhelds and test the exact amount of time from a button press to movement on the screen and then test them with their replacement screens and test them on the mister. Because I have a feeling that a lot of these handhelds are actually going to be more reactive, so less less total latency start to finish using the newer screens and the FPGA builds of this stuff. So that's pretty. Uh, that's a project for the future, but that's something I'm just very curious about, and I think I hope people would want to watch that video too. So I'll, I'll get to that in the future. But that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that it's also the reason why uh, the um, frame buffering we have in the GBA or in the Game Boy Core isn't that bad. You you don't notice it that much because the old screen was so slow. It combines two images, and. You, it's not not that much of an issue to to have a frame buffer there and add uh, maybe on average half a half a frame on on delay. Yeah, I've done a lot of testing with um, with gamers that are far more talented than I am. I'm not even that good at games, and uh, half a frame. I think everybody has kind of unanimously said that that's pretty much zero. Uh, in, you know, in your mind as you're playing, if something's been tested at you know eight milliseconds or less, uh, especially once you start getting under that five, four, it, it's it doesn't affect gameplay in the slightest. It's really once you start to pass a frame, and that's not even reactive. So that's not like. You know, like uh, those games where you hear a noise and you have to press a button, that's reactive. Whereas when you're playing games and you have your moves memorized and your muscle memory is going through these, and, you know, like Tetris, you see the piece come in so you know exactly what to do with your hands, That that's the type of stuff where, where pro gamers start to notice a difference. But under 8 milliseconds, I don't think anybody's ever been able to prove that, that they noticed a difference. Of course, some people like to use it as an excuse when they lose a match, but I don't think anybody <laughs> with integrity has ever said, uh, you know, has ever proven in a test that, that anything under that is it. So, that I mean, I would... I would describe these cores just from um, just from a description point of view as zero lag, even if you want to dig into the technical of them, just because I want to make sure, like when you say it, you're the developer, so we appreciate all the technical info, but when I say it, I just want people to know that they're, they don't have to worry about their experience. It's not like they plugged their mister into a pound cable or something, like the, the total output yeah. experience is great, so... Um, did we cover everything with the Lynx core? Because there were so many cool things. I just found myself going back to that every time I turned on my, my mister, just because I thought it was neat. I liked experiencing the games like that. I had one with the VGA output, but there was just something about all the extra features. You had a, a Did you have scan lines available for those as well, right? You had a, a CRT yeah. mode or something? There's a 240p mode, which... Uh which uh, doubles the, the original resolution and uh, gives this with, with some little black bars so you can use it on, on the CRT. And it was quite difficult to, de uh, to develop that because I had someone else uh, testing it. I don't have analog outboard. I don't have any CRT here. So I couldn't test it all. So I prepared, uh, I prepared the build and... Uh, Someone else tested it and told me with, with pictures. So the image is, is too far on the left. It's, it must must go more to the right. And it took uh, some builds, but uh, we managed to get it 
right i think that's funny because i think when you f- the first day it was released it was in the lower left corner of the screen <laughs> and then after another uh you know another update it was perfectly centered uh we gotta fix that though um i'll see if i can get you an rgb monitor even a small one if you don't have a lot of space and uh and an io board for your mister i gotta make sure we can't have we can't have you not having all the tools you need i'll <laughs> talk to my friends out where you are and see if we can hook you up with those though because um i think while most people probably game on flat panels those of us who do enjoy CRTs very much really appreciate when developers take the time to do the analog out modes on these as well so yeah whatever we could do to, to get you the tools you need uh, you know I'll, I'll see if I can hook you up Yeah, it's quite difficult with, with the handhelds because of the lower resolution it often doesn't fit well with, mm-hmm. with the CRT resolution so for a gamer for example I'm not sure how does it look good on, on a CRT it's probably a small screen. You you cannot just double the the size because it's too large. Then right. So the e- easy answer is yes. It definitely looks good because anybody that played these on original hardware is already used to seeing it centered. Or in the case of like the Super Game Boy with the borders. So if you'd never seen a portable game on a console before, you might go, "Well, that's weird." You know, it doesn't fill the screen. But anybody that's ever used a Super Game Boy, the game, um, you know, or any of the other things like that i think we're mm-hmm. all used to that so it's not you know it's not a big deal it does look good uh, and i know there's different ways to scale it but it's kind of hard especially with such blocky graphics if you were to stretch scale it it wouldn't quite look right so yeah it's um yeah i think most people that play handhelds on monitors are just used to that though um so now you i remember uh your patreon post uh, when you had finished the Lynx Core and you said you were considering working on a few others, uh, and then you chose, uh, I think that's when you went back and added uh, NES uh, save state support, right? You started working on that then as well as you were working on the Wonderspawn? Yes, when I finished the Lynx Core and I made this Patreon post, um, Kendricks from, from um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure you know her. Oh, maybe. a good friend of mine, she, yeah. Yes. Um, she uh, said, uh, so you, you wrote uh, you would do safe state, so why don't you start with the uh, NES? And I always thought uh, she wanted to do it herself. Mm-hmm. But she said, uh, I am fine with it. Uh, I only hope it gets done. So I start with this one. I always would like to do it because the, the NESCO was really well prepared for it. And it had all the, the things uh, required to do it. It was a lot of work. And I really underestimated uh, how much work it was. So uh, it probably took me uh, at least five times as long as on a Game Boy or on a GBA. Oh, wow. But uh, overall, I think it was was worth the time. And it was, was nice to not start after one core directly with another one. So have a little, little side project in between. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think I just talked about that a few days ago on the podcast, and it's so cool. And there's there's so many people that, that use save states for a bunch of different reasons. I mean, you know, obviously one of the big ones is just not having to start your game over every time you need to walk away from it. But I do know a lot of speedrunners that use that for testing. Um, there's just there's a lot of really cool things. I know there, there's definitely a bunch of content creators that are going to create save states for unique parts of games so that when we need to capture our own footage, we can just load up that save state 
state and get to the neat part of the game to capture footage. So a lot of great uses for save states. Uh, sorry that it ended up being a lot harder uh, than you originally anticipated, but we all appreciate it. That's for sure. <laughs> Um, so then you had you started work on the Wonder Swan core, which it's such an interesting handheld because most people have never even seen one in person before. But it has a decent game library, and I I've heard that it has a bunch of good games on it too. I've actually never even I think I've seen them before, but I've never actually played on one. So it's really difficult for me because when I go through these games, I start them and they look great. I want to play them, but I cannot do it because it's Japanese. I don't understand a word of it. So I'm happy I've, I found some games uh, which can be played. There's, there's, a, there's a good list out there with, with games that can be played without understanding Japanese. And I have gone uh, through this list and tested these games, but there are quite some more I really wanted to play, but I, I just can't. Yeah, that's why I always try to make a big deal when people take the time to do translations, especially for the games that are very text heavy. Uh, I tried my best to try to promote every one of those because it's so impressive to me that people would take the time to do that. And now an awesome game that was only for people who read Japanese could now be experienced by a whole lot of other people. So that's uh, hopefully once your core comes out, we'll start to see a bit more translations of those games. And I believe they could run on the, uh, the ROM card as well. So, you know, I think it'd be pretty neat to see some of the better games get ported over with an English translation. Yeah, there there are some translation for for Wonder Swan games, uh, and I looked at some. But especially for the the role playing games, it's difficult if the the battle system, for example, is translated, but all the other texts are not. So you can play this game, but you don't understand anything of uh, what's happening there. You can you can fight the monsters, but you don't understand why. That's funny. That's really funny. Um, now, I've been following your Patreon progress. You made the software emulator. Uh, and have you started porting that over to Verilog yet? Or are you still in the software testing phase? So I'm, I'm porting uh, already. Oh, wow. That's so, quick. That went very quickly. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm working on it now. That's exciting. Um, but uh, I'm working on, on VHDL, not on Verilog. So oh, this I'm is, sorry. I keep, I keep getting no, this confused. Yeah. The, no, no reason uh, for that. But it's not that common, I would say. On the, on the Mr., I would say it's maybe 70 or 80% Verilog. Most of the code is. Also, the whole framework is. Mm. But uh, I'm still used to, to VHDL from... Uh, from my from my history, I worked seven years as a VHDL de developer full time, and uh, only VHDL th this time. So I will continue it. Yeah, you know, I wanted to get into your background on this because I'm always so curious how people could even get the knowledge to start working on something like this. But I guess uh, so. You've been working with this um, VHDL for a while for your main job, and that's how you're so familiar with it. Yes. I started off after my uh, study um, as FPGA developer, and uh, I, I did it for for about seven years, and then I switched to to more software related job. And uh, when I switched, I had fun again with uh, doing FPGA as a hobby. And before I didn't have fun anymore after eight hours a day. Doing FPGA development, uh, I didn't want to do it after work. Yeah, I totally understand. There's a, 
It, there's some things that are just better off as hobbies, you know, and like, I, I love doing retro RGB for a living. You know, there's some parts of it that kind of drive me nuts. You know, the social media trolls definitely, but for the most part, I just, every day I, I really enjoy what I'm doing, but I, I know exactly what you mean. Cause I had some, some hobbies that I tried to do a little bit more full time and I just went, man, this is taking the fun out of it. So I guess gaming would be like that for me. I, I, th- I find gaming fun and relaxing, but if I had to do it every day, all day as a job, I think I would get frustrated with it quickly. And I don't, you know, it's funny because I rarely get a chance to actually play games, even though the, what I do is based around them. But when I do, it's always a happy thing. So I kind of want to make sure I keep it that way, you know. That's, it's really important to have a still, to still enjoy gaming. So when, when I was younger, I played for, for many years, a lot of hours every day. And today it's really hard for me to motivate myself to play through a game again. So I always have, oh, there, there's this project and the family and the job and everything. And I'm not really motivated. So when I see a new game, I really want to play it, but oh, it takes 50 hours again. I just don't want to spend that much time. But on the other hand, I don't really like the games you can you pick up for, for 10 minutes. I, it's, it's not the, the game, type of game I like, so it's difficult. Today. Yeah, you know, I think that's actually what draws a lot of people into retro gaming. Even younger people that didn't grow up with any of this stuff, you know, they they, they like gaming and they want to get into a certain style, but they also don't want to spend 60 hours to completion, you know, uh, two or three max for one of the ones that you could just sit and play start to finish or, you know, maybe 10 to 20 hours for some of the more adventure games. And we got a lot of that in the 16-bit era. But not not really nowadays. Everything is a grind, it feels like. Even the games that, that don't really feel like they need to be. I think it was um I think it was Twilight Princess, the Zelda game for the Wii, the second one. Um mm-hmm. I can't remember. I think it was that one, but there was a giant chunk of the game that took hours that was basically just go back over where you were before to collect stuff that you don't even need. Like you could tell they kind of added it in just to make the game feel longer. And it's just, it, it started to take the fun out of it. You know, I just wanted to, to stick with it. So you're, you're right. A lot of game, newer games just, I feel like they're long just for the sake of being long. So that, that is why another big reason why I'm always happy that the retro gaming scene's growing. because there's just thousands of games available for every genre that people might like that fit their needs better than what came out in the past two years. You know, and of course, there's some amazing new stuff too, but I just like that people now have the choice of whatever it is they feel like playing. Yes, for me, it's much easier to play this long games with games I knew from, from as a child or teenager because I already know how this game works and I, it doesn't take me 30 hours anymore. I only need five or six because I already know it. So mm. it's much easier then. Yeah. And still still have this, this game which goes uh, in depth. Absolutely. And you don't have the extra time that you did as a kid, you know, when you when you're in school and you're not working and, you know, you could totally yeah. play hours every day and it's not taking away from anything else in your life. And nowadays it's like, you know, once you're once you hit adulthood, everything changes and, you know, your free time goes down very much. Yeah. When you were a kid, what were some of your favorite games to play? So I, as a child, I played a lot of the Pokemon games. So When, when I grew up, the, the first generation of them came out on, on the Game Boy and I spent a lot of time on that. And uh, 
afterwards, uh, I spent a lot of time on um, PC gaming, uh, mainly uh, games like Diablo, StarCraft, as a teenager. And after after that, it it was was not much anymore. That's cool. I mean, you you hit you just hit some really awesome games. So I think you know that was a cool answer. I'm just kind of always curious because everybody has their own approach on games. So it's funny to hear some people say their favorite game is like Mortal Kombat and Final Fantasy because those are two wildly different games. But it's uh, sometimes people just it, I'm just always interested to see what what connected with people and what their favorite games were and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so I played a lot of other games in in between. So I had a Nintendo 64 and played a lot of them, but uh, all maybe not not that much. I didn't spend really months with these games. It it was more than uh, two weeks maybe with one when it was new. So you had to buy them. It, it was expensive, so you need to at least play them for for a few weeks. Uh, but uh, it wasn't. Um, it wouldn't uh, keep me for so long. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is one giant difference about playing games now versus playing games when I was a kid in that, you know, I had to go to the store to rent one. I had to, you know, you had to look around and you get your friend's recommendations or you try to judge by the label and you get home and the game is terrible. And it's devastating because that was supposed to be your weekend, and you kind of force yourself to play it. And there were one or two that I couldn't even I couldn't even get five minutes into, and I just wasted my ten dollars for the weekend or something. But there were also a few others where, because I rented it, I forced myself to play it, and I actually really liked it after it kind of started out. But nowadays, if I played that same game for the first time and it was that bad for the first half hour, I would just shut it off and move on to the next. So there's something to be said for being stuck with a game that you rented or bought versus all the choices. Yeah, it's it's much easier today to to pick up a new game. And uh, if it's not good, just get the next one. It's, it's much easier. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So um, in your, uh, your Patreon post after... Uh, after you finished the Lynx core, you had mentioned looking into others. And I try to make it a point to never to never talk about future stuff because I don't want to put pressure on developers, but you'd already openly talked about it, so I'm not outing you or anything. But you said you were going to look into the Virtual Boy as well. Um, yep. Do you know if it's even possible to, to run on the Mister, or are you not even at the stage of, of being able to tell? So I would say from uh, from... All the the cores I posted there, uh, the Wonders One and uh, the Virtual Boy are the ones which I was quite sure it's possible. Oh so wow! From from the hardware perspective, uh, from the spec, it's it should be should be okay. So the, uh, there are two main problems when when uh, putting some system to to the Mister FPGA. So the first is uh, the speed. So if there's a very fast processor inside, let's say Nintendo 64 with nearly 100 megahertz. So rebuilding that uh, in this FPGA is nearly impossible, I would say. At least if you want to do it psycho-accurate at exactly the speed. And the second one is the memory, which I learned from the Nintendo DS core where it didn't fit in. So I always check these two parts first. Uh, it can be very complex if you have a lot of uh, different components, like uh, in the PlayStation or the Saturn core. 
that were worked on with several processors and other components uh, communicating uh, with each other. So it's, it's complicated. Uh, but uh, the main reason to have it not working in, inside uh, the Mr. FPGA at least uh, is uh, mainly uh, the, the speed and memory size. Interesting. Now I know this is this is speculation and this is far in the future, so I know I probably shouldn't even be asking it, but I kind of have to. Um, from something like the Virtual Boy, uh, using what the Mister has to offer, is there any way to get 3D output? Now I know stuff like the red and blue glasses, the anaglyph grass glasses that that's probably doable, um, but you know, is, is there any other methods? Because I do think that. There, there's a certain charm to the Virtual Boy's 3D graphics. And some of it's a little cheesy, but I think Wario did a great job. I really enjoyed that game. Uh, and I, I think there's still some others where you would still like the game if you played it just you know on a regular TV. But stuff like Bound High, that game, the whole purpose and perspective of the game is out the window if you just used it on a TV. So do you think there's any possibility of trying to get 3D output in, in any way possible from that? So that's that's one of the reasons I didn't want to start this call because of the all the possibilities the users would want to have. Mm -hmm. So the first one would want to have side-by-side uh, -side images. This is probably possible. So we can probably have this. So with uh, HDMI output and uh, some uh, screen or whatever output device uh, that can live with side-by-side -side images for 3D, for, for both images, we should uh, should be able to get this. But uh, then you get uh, uh, the high-frequency modes where you have to do 120 hertz, for example, with, with, uh, with this one. And... Then the different color modes, so mixing uh, the the red and blue together <laughs> into one image, and and all this this different uh, ways of outputting. And the next one wants only two D with uh, a good color palette, just uh, instead of uh, only red. So yeah. a lot of uh, work afterwards outputting the calculated image. So. I'm mainly interested in in doing all this calculation part to get this image out of the of the of the core, but all the the interfacing with different uh, components, different um, TVs or shutter classes or whatever you maybe need. I'm not really interested in that. It's such a, a huge area and takes a lot of time for. I would say not too much benefit in the end. Yeah, I think chasing things like active shutter glasses would require extra hardware on the mister. So that's something that, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't even consider that at the beginning unless unless it was super easy somehow. But um, and even things like the modern 3D TVs where it's the active shutter glasses for the flat panels, every one of those TVs could also do side by side. So side by side makes sense. Um, the only other thing, the only reason I even mentioned the uh, the red blue glasses or any kind of polarization like that is just because that's compatible with every TV, but it doesn't look very good. I don't know the last time you ever yeah. tried that, but you know when you're looking at a comic book when you were a kid with those glasses on it was neat. But I, I there was a software emulator for Virtual Boy that added the red and blue graph glasses, and it 
it just wasn't the same. It wasn't it wasn't worth playing it that way. It was neat. I appreciated that the developer tried to add that, but mm-hmm. I, I think if you were gonna spend the time at that at all, it would probably be just be the most popular method of side by side and people with projectors or TVs just press the button and, and set it that way. Yeah. I did remember so, spending quite a lot of time with Mednafen, I believe, trying to set that up on my 3D TV five or six years ago, and the separation was never quite correct. You could, it was always a lot of crosstalk, or it felt like it was just a 2D image. So that sounds like it would be a nightmare. <laughs> yes, I, I guess that it's a lot of work. So if the emulators already struggle with it, it's not really easier uh, in the FPGA to implement such features. Yeah. So I have not tried the VR version of it yet, though. I know, I, th- I believe there is a, a VR software emulation. Yes. I have not tried that yet. And I, I, I borrowed a friend's HP uh, VR helmet and I just, it, it was a pain to get it working. So one of these days, maybe I'll try a different helmet and different software and give it a try. But I'd like to see how that is because if that's a decent. Uh, experience than people who really care about 3D could just use that way, you know? Uh, I'm not sure how compatible this is with with the Mister. No, the no end, I didn't mean in the Mister. I just mean if somebody so for, really for wants the, it, download emulator. a software emulator for it on your yes. computer. Yeah. Yes, I, I also found this this emulator when uh, doing the research to find out if it's accurate and if I can learn something from it. What did you and, think of the emulator? Uh, but I couldn't try it oh, <laughs> because it only works with the with the Oculus hardware. So I couldn't get it to run with my <laughs> with my 2D screen. So no chance for me. Do you have any VR helmets at all? No. Yeah, I, I don't own one either. I just borrowed that one. It was very neat, but I uh, and I do like the technology, but not all of the games. Like a, a lot of the perspective of the game is I still get dizzy. The only one that I absolutely loved was a table tennis one. And I was able to connect to my friend online and we were able to be, you know, he was in Connecticut. I'm in New York. So we're an hour and a half away and we were playing virtual table tennis in front of each other. It, it was really neat. That was that was by far the best VR experience because it actually felt like I was there and I didn't get dizzy looking around. Well, that was pretty cool. But I, I'm looking forward to see the future of VR. It's just not quite for me personally yet. I think I would spend most of my time playing a virtual boy emulator on it. <laughs> Yeah, I think it it would be it would be nice to to try this out. I I would really love it, but uh, the motion sickness is a huge problem for me. So I I just had one uh, with a smartphone, some something from from a friend. I tried it, and it was a roller coaster or something like this. And I got sick in, in ten seconds, and I thought I will never try this again. This technology, it, it's just not for me. Yeah. Yeah, I've played a bunch of games on VR, and that was mostly my experience. Um, I think the frame rate might have a lot to do with it. I heard the next generation headsets are coming out are going to be much faster, but Mm. it's very disorienting when you move your head and you're just used to real life, and now you're kind of waiting for the the visor to catch up with you. It's a yeah, I get I get motion sick pretty bad with that. Much more so than I do any other time in life. Like I get a little bit motion sick in the backseat of cars, but not not like with a VR helmet. That sends me right over. So Yeah. Well that's cool. At least we have a I mean just being able to play a virtual boy without 
having to deal with all of this extra stuff that you have to do, you know, the, the ribbon cables that you have to, um, have to repair because they all start to go after a while. I, I love the virtual boy, but it's going to be very nice to be able to just flip on a button on my mister at some point and play it with or without 3d. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it would. It's it's so convenient to, uh, to have all this in in one device today. So without all all this all this different, even if if the device is is still okay. So if you if you have a console like the Super Nintendo, you can still play it. But uh, virtual, it's more difficult because uh, it's it's not really not really easy to use and. <laughs> You need need some space for it, but um, with all those different consoles, to have them all recreated in in one place, I think that that's really helping me to use them. So, if I, for example, I started a Commodore sixty four game I knew as a child lately. So I would not never put up a, a Commodore sixty four again. Even if I had it somewhere here, it would be just so much, uh, so much work and space, and uh, I wouldn't have the motivation to start it at all. And now you just plug in a USB keyboard and you're playing Commodore 64 on your flat panel as if it was, you know, as if it was the real thing. Yes, because I, I'm always uh, developing with it. It's it's always ready. I just need to plug it in, and I can I can just uh, try it. I don't play it on on a big TV. It's it's just my, my monitor here, but it, that's okay for all the old games. The old uh, TVs weren't that big uh, at that time, so it's great. It, it is funny to see graphics from consoles like the Atari Twenty Six Hundred on a sixty inch TV because they were designed for your average TV that was you know ten yeah. inches. So I do. Uh, I'm, I'm, I love CRTs. I don't know why. So I, I have a, quite a variety of them, and I like to pick and choose which CRT I play which games on when I you know when I have the opportunity. And smaller screens for Atari Twenty Six Hundred is pretty cool too. Um, so you mentioned before. Uh, complicated cores like the PS1 and the Saturn where there's lots of chips running together. I wanted your opinion and I want to make it clear. I'm not asking you to do this. I just wanted your opinion. Um, do you think something like the 32X would be possible to be integrate into the Mr. or even 32X CD? Because that's certainly one console that has a bunch of really good games on it and it is impossible to have a good 32X experience. In the past two years, I've had four each one has been recapped and refurbished. Each one is tested. Um, all my friend Jose does all this for me because he's way better at this stuff than I am. And most of them don't work on half of my consoles. And some are modded, some are not modded. So it's not like the Sega Triple Bypass causes a problem. You know, I could have four stock original Genesis consoles and it works on three, but not one of them. So I really think that's one of those things that so many people would enjoy those games if they actually had a chance to play them. But I don't know if that's impossible. Is that, you know, is putting all of those chips into one core like that or, or multiple cores or something? Is that even something that's possible? So I, I can't say for the... Uh... 32x uh, because I just don't know the system. So I, I would need to uh, look up what what's inside. But uh, having several component components isn't uh, a problem for the FPGA in in terms of size typically. Because if, even if you take maybe not like the AO486, but if you take a usual CPU from that time, it would fit maybe. Uh, 
10 to 20 times into the FPGA. Oh. So it doesn't take too much space. For for example, for uh, the, the ARM core and the GBA, which is quite new from, uh, it's it's not that, that old, a 32-bit mm-hmm. processor, and it would fit more than 10 times in into the uh, Mr. FPGA. So having it there, it would fit, but you need to um, to get everything correct. And it's mainly the work to do it. So doing two processor cores isn't just double work. It's way more because you need to synchronize them. You need to, to connect them. They both access the memory. So something uh, most emulators don't really think about. So if one is accessing the memory, the other can also but not on the FPGA, you, they are on the same memory. So you need to uh, to have an arbiter in between. And uh, you need to decide uh, which one can, can access now. And that makes it very difficult to have this, uh, this multiple components in the system. So, but in, in terms of space, it's usually not that big of a problem. I, Recently, I've seen that uh, Sergey working on the Saturn core already has the FPG in nearly full, but he has lots of components inside. So uh, it was, I, I'm not sure about the Saturn, but I think he got all the processors already inside. Not complete, but they are, mm-hmm. they are um, in the FPGA. But uh, I think it uh, from the size it would fit, but... Uh, to get uh, all the the memory handling and everything, it's not sure that these things will really fit in the end. I really appreciate. I, I really hope. Uh, I really hope for for this for the systems or also for the for the PlayStation to to have this. But we always need to uh, have in mind that the FPGA's internal memory is very small. It's less than one megabyte. So um, the consoles from this time frame already have several megabytes of RAM. So it all must be external. But uh, the external RAM has some problems like latency and uh, it only is uh, 16-bit access. So if, if a console has uh, has a RAM that is um, 32-bit or, or even wider or very fast like the Nintendo 64 or such things, it's very difficult to, to do this um, in a way, as it was on a real console, you can always do tricks to to get around this. Like I did with the GBA core because I thought it, it was required. But um, if you don't want to do these tricks and you want to do it really in an accurate way, it's very difficult for this new console. So I have full respect to uh, to Sergey working on, on the uh, Saturn core and also on on the playstation uh, development getting this uh, this working it's really a lot of work yeah i really appreciate the perspective on that that really i i feel like i understand uh, a lot better the struggles that you all go through when you're making these amazing cores so that's cool it's not about the size it's about what goes into making all these things talk to each other so that's interesting um, were there anything else looking to the future that, that you'd like to see on Mr. Whether it's something you do or whether you just would like to see it on there or something, is there, you know, anything that you had looking to the future or are you just kind of taking stuff one step at a time and seeing where it all falls? 
so I, I'm really not sure what the what the future brings now. I, I would be really happy if uh, in some years we could get to a faster FPGA and uh, mainly faster and a little bit more memory. So systems like the Nintendo 64, Nintendo DS could could work there. And I also really want to have a faster uh, PC core. So to have uh, the first era of, of Pentium games uh, working on there, that would be great. That is pretty awesome. I think, you know, with all of the global part shortages, any hopes that we had for the next two years of these prices coming down are out the window. But maybe a few years from now, four, three or four years, when everything catches back up, we the next generation, whatever the next generation of DE10 is, would be available at a decent price. I think that would be, I think we're all kind of hoping for that. But uh, there's still just so much to enjoy on the current one. And, you know, as we talk, I always try to be clear that when we talk about what's coming next, that never that never discredits what's here now. So even if a, a bigger one with a 4K output that supports N64 and DS is out, doesn't make the current Mr. any less amazing. It's still perfect in your arcade machines. It's still perfect on your TVs. So, you know, I, as a nerd, I always look to the future. I always want to work out what's coming next, but I just always want to get want to make sure I, you know, remind everybody that just because we're talking about what's next doesn't mean what's now isn't amazing. I certainly love the project and I'm very happy that I have one. Yes, I guess from a, from a user perspective, what we have now is perfect for, for this price to have all this uh, course available and it's really great. From a developer perspective, it would be really nice to be able to work on these things I would really like to work on. So it's currently, it's not possible. I, I couldn't do it, mm. but I would really like to do it some someday in the future. I hope I, I'm still motivated in a few years when, when these uh, new systems come out. Yeah. It's funny to see how that, you know, it's funny to see how that is. You know, if you asked me 10 years ago when I started retro RGB, if I'd still be doing it, I'd probably be like, yeah, probably, you know, it's a fun hobby. And, you know, I'd never guess that I've, I've worked every day on this thing for the past couple of years. I still enjoy it, but so you never know what the future is going to bring. We'll, we'll see. Uh, hopefully your, your current job and, and family life and everything will, uh, will allow for that. I know it's very easy for life to get very busy and very complicated. So. Yes, that's that's a, a huge part of uh, why I could could work so much on it uh, recently. So uh, with with the job with completely home office now, you don't have to drive to uh, to the workplace, drive back. It, it saves me at least one and a half hours every day, so I can work at that time. Previously, that wasn't possible. So um, it re- it really helps uh, getting such uh, things together with a full-time job. Yeah, that's actually how I was able to start RetroRGB is because I had a job that I had to be in front of my computer from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. You know, I could take a quick break, but if you know somebody needed me, I had to be there. And then I had a bunch of tasks that I had to complete, projects that I was building, things like that. But a lot of it was just making myself available. And I got bored immediately and just started, I think within a month of that job, I started retro RGB. And because there was just so much where it's like, okay, I'm waiting for a new process to compile, press this button. All right, well, I have, what am I going to do for the next 20 minutes? So, all right, let me write a couple of guides about my Super Nintendo. So if I didn't have that, there'd be no retro RGB because I would have never started it. So I think, you know, I, 
I liked working in an office. I liked working from home. Um, but I think now I would choose to always work from home if I had to. And, you know, I love being around people. I love hanging out. You know, maybe if I ever had to do a different job, it would be work from home, but still go in the office a couple times a month or something like that. But I definitely, and I'm so much more productive at home. I don't know about you, but for me, there are some days like you wake up and you're just not, you're not at a hundred percent. And when I'm working from home, it's like, okay, well, I could do laundry, clean the apartment, wash some dishes. Next thing you know, a couple hours go by and I'm, I'm, I'm back. I'm, I'm happy. And so I just work from noon till eight or 9 PM rather than, you know, 8 AM to 6 PM. Whereas when I'm at a job, if I'm kind of sleepy until noon, that whole day is wasted that whole morning at least. So I, I definitely find myself way more productive this way. Yeah. Especially uh, the time, uh, to, to start and uh, when you end. So I'm usually very productive from very early on, but after uh, after lunch and uh, afternoon, it, it really gets, gets down. And I could start again, maybe at 8 p.m. And I could work uh, deep into the night and it, it uh, would be possible and I, uh, I did this with with some of the uh, work i did especially with the with the gba core when when i worked on it i spent endless hours into the night fixing some problem i've seen it i need to fix it i, I cannot sleep before i fix it so i need to stay up to uh oh, too late so uh, but in between it's difficult for me so with, uh, with this uh, new situation, it works far better for me. So I also noticed that this with, with colleagues and it was great progress also at work. Also not only uh, with, with the hobby here and, and the, the Mr. Project, but also at work, it, it was really, the team was getting forward much faster since uh, everyone's working from home. Yeah, absolutely. Do you um do you have a, a standing desk or do you do you prefer to sit? Because that's something that's kind of been become more popular. And uh, I I started standing just because I, I hurt my back a couple of years ago. It's totally healed, but I got used to standing. So now almost all of the work I do I, I do on my standing desk. The only thing I can't really do is um, write scripts. Like when I'm when I'm trying to get into it and try to do a good description, I have to sit down. I don't know why I can't concentrate super hard while standing. So it's a, a little bit difficult here because I only have one place. So I have one place where I work and I also use this the same computer when I, let's say, if I play a game, I use the same one. And uh, if I surf in a, in a web, I use the same computer. So I always sit here. I, I would like to, to switch, but it's not really uh, practical to do it in, in in the situation here. Yeah, me neither. That's why this this that I'm standing on now, it's actually a bunch of uh, plastic drawers with an adjustable top on the, on it, <laughs> but it's standing only. I could never put it down. And the setup that I have here, I could never do that. I, I would like both. I do. I sit on my, uh, my kitchen table when I need to sit. But so, yeah, you, you're right. Unless you have an extra space or, or you're willing to buy a whole new setup, which is pretty expensive, you kind of got to pick one or the other. So that's why I kind of I just stuck with standing because I figured it was better overall. And I'm kind of fat. So anytime I could stand and get more exercise is always a help. So, <laughs> but. 
Well, uh, just thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us here. Um, you know, it was really insightful hearing your perspective on a lot of this stuff. I've been following your work. I, I'm so sorry. I, f- I completely forgot that you were the developer behind the Game Boy Advance project. I even wrote an article about it and talked about it on one of my podcasts. And it's just so much going on, so many people I talk to. But I've been following your work since then and uh, just a big fan of everything you and the whole Mr. Team does. And I, I think people are really going to enjoy hearing from you and, and hearing your thoughts on this. Yeah, thanks a lot. Well, um, we will definitely do this again at some point. This was a lot of fun, uh, and I will uh, I'll, I'll let everybody know uh, and keep everybody updated as to your course progress and when they're released and all that stuff. And maybe I'll do a, uh, an Atari Lynx stream at one, uh, at one point soon so people could uh, kind of go through the game library with me on the Mystery Core. Yeah, okay. Right, thanks Thank very you. much. I'll talk to you soon.